What's going on, film family? Before we get started, I want to talk to you about something, and that's Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Hold on, let me explain. First, it's free. There's creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more places. And you can also make money from your podcast. I know that's the part that's the part that everyone's going to like. You can make money with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Let's get to the show. In a land far, far away, not really, two brave souls unite. Unite to embark on a mission to review the greatest films, or at least somewhat watchable. Join in on the journey with the professionally unprofessional film critics, the Film Bros. This product is rated B for badass. It's over. They're all gone. Frank, it's time. It's time you say what happened. Frank, I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. Better watch. There's a lot of tough guys around here. Did he tell you? You're not afraid of tough guys, are you? Yeah. I didn't think so. I was one of a thousand working stiffs. Until I wasn't no more. You got a good friend here. You don't know how good a friend you got. Russell, he took a shine to me right away. After a while, he started giving me little things to do. I know you read a lot of things about me. I just want to say I'm sorry. I know I wasn't a good dad. I know that. I know that. I was just trying to protect all of you. From what? You didn't see what I see, what I've been through. A friend of ours is having a little trouble. A friend at the top. Hiya, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Glad to meet you. Big business and the government is on the attack! You want to be a part of this fight? A part of this history? Whatever you need me to do, I'm available. Well, JB... Are you ready to paint some houses in this bitch? Let's do the motherfucker. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, we're back for another week. Another full review. How'd you guys like that Home Alone review? Uh, if you are subscribed to us on the Hameen Media feed, we did a retro review of Minnesota on Home Alone, so go and check that out on our feed. But enough housekeeping. I'm your host, CEO Hayes, and I'm joined by my brother, the prodigal one, JB himself, Mr. Pro Wrestling Reflection himself. What's going on, film family? Am I fucking excited for this episode of Film Frequency? I mean, it's the Irishman. I cannot wait to start talking about this shit, bro. And this is like long coming because we've been meaning to review on this son of a bitch for a while. But it's it's eluded us, but we finally got it. Definitely. Uh, it's so just as some some numbers uh, to start off with: seventeen point one million people estimated by Nelson. Nielsen, however you say it, in the first five days of it being available. Now, that can only be really an estimation because Netflix does not make their numbers available. I don't know what Nielsen uses to to come up with that number, but that's what it is right now. And I saw something else. I think 
Netflix confirmed 13 something million, I believe. I saw another article where 13 million was the number. So between 13 and 17 million within the first five days. What do you think about that? It's pretty good. I mean, obviously, with the names behind this, is going to have a good following. I know numbers-wise, revenue-wise, uh, last time I checked, they were a little bit over seven. They're almost seven and a half million, which seems like shit. But people have to remember, this thing was in theaters for literally two weeks. Well, yeah, the box office—that's neither here nor there. It, it only screened the amount of time it had to to be eligible for awards. That was literally the only reason it was put in the theaters. Um, but. The budget on this was 159 million, I believe. Um, and originally, this so th- it's a it's the story of this movie getting made is almost as good as the story within in it. So, uh, Robert De Niro read the book back in 2004. He felt so moved by reading that book. Uh, Martin Scorsese said that Robert, da- I mean not Robert Downey Jr. Robert De Niro got mm-hmm. emotional just talking to him about it. And that's what kind of got Scorsese on the movie and wanting to make it. Um, and they started development on it on 2000 in 2007. I actually listened to a podcast. You probably like it. It's called the director's cut. It was a conversation between Scorsese and Spike Lee. Uh, it's called, it's when they put two directors and they just talk about the art of filmmaking. And it was nice. a great conversation between those two. And uh, Scorsese was saying how they just couldn't get the movie financed. And at one point, Early on in, in in the creation of this movie, they were just going to use makeup on the actors to kind of make them look younger. The CGI, the technology didn't even exist uh, when they were originally going to make this movie. So everything happens for a reason because the CGI that was used to de-age these actors, it wasn't seamless, but it, I think it would have looked better than makeup. It would have looked kind of cheesy there. What do you think about that? So... The de-aging and the whole everything has been a big talking point when it comes to this movie. I honestly could give zero fucks about the de-aging. The movie is so good that I didn't even think about the de-aging. If I didn't hear about it and, and, and it wasn't always brought to light, I wouldn't even cared about it. I mean, the movie is so good, and I may be biased. I mean, let's remember here. Martin Scorsese is my number one director of all time. Uh, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, that's, that's two of my top five of all time. Mob movies, that's my number two genre right behind horror so i'm gonna be completely biased like on you know i'm gonna try to be unbiased but the bias bias is gonna come out because these are all my people all in one so yeah i know people have issues with the de-aging people have issues with the with the length which i'm sure we're gonna get into but the movie was so good that none of that stuff bothered me i didn't care i didn't care about any of it yeah i i mean the de-aging I'm not going to lie. The first like five minutes of the movie, it was just it was kind of off putting because a the almost the first thing in the movie is Pesci and Robert De Niro. And I'm so familiar with how old these motherfuckers are that it did kind of it was off putting there. Well, not off putting, but it just it definitely caught my eye. Um, But after that, like after that first scene, I was so engulfed in just how great the movie was that it didn't bother me at all. Uh, We know Marvel's like perfected this de-aging technology, so it doesn't. I'm not going to be surprised if we get more and more uh, de-aging stuff like this where they, you can use older actors. But, you know, let's let's I, I know we're going to talk about a lot in this in this movie. So uh, the, we better. The, the, the book that it's about, I heard you paint houses is it's not an autobiography, but um, it is it is about the main character in this movie. And it's kind of what he claims happens to uh, Hoffa. That's been reported or disputed. We've actually talked about that on an episode of Keeping It Real before. But what did you think, like, just, 
I guess that first thing that we talked about, like taking the D agent out of it, the tone that it says early on with having that first sit down between De Niro and uh, Joe Pesci's character. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, from off rip, you know, it's like starting this. It's kind of nostalgia for me because, again, I'm a huge um, buff when it comes to uh, mobster slash mafia movies and seeing these two together. Immediately, I start thinking of Casino. I start thinking of Goodfellas and just seeing these two together. I mean, Pesci hasn't been on camera. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he hasn't been on for like maybe 15, 20 years now. So to see him back was just amazing. And not only that. We're used to seeing Joe Pesci as that, oh, you cocksucking motherfucker. You know, he was so laid back and relaxed. Not the Pesci that we know, but just a kind of cool, calm, and calculating Pesci. So it was cool to see. And uh, like you said, off rip from the very beginning, I was already, like, engulfed in what I was watching. So do you, like, what, what do you want to talk about with this? this? This So I guess the first thing, we talked about the CGI. Let's talk about the performance of Robert De Niro. One of the all-time greatest actors, period. If you don't if you don't agree with that, you can stop listening to this fucking podcast cuz I don't want to hear your opinion on anything to do with movies if you don't think Robert De Niro is one of the best actors that we've had ever. Um but I would this has got to be his top 3 roles of all time in my opinion. I, absolutely 100%. Um he was so good in this movie. I mean, we can talk for hours and hours just on his performance alone, but absolutely, uh, you know, his performance is great. And to be honest with you, it's before we got a lot of these performances in the past. It's the same kind of Robert De Niro we've got in the past, but it's so different to see him at an age. I mean, De Niro has to be like, I would say close to mid to late eighties. I mean, sorry, seventies. So the fact that he's performing at such a high level, is still amazing to watch. I mean, it just goes to show no matter what age you are, when you got it, literally you got it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Robert De Niro, 76. Um, and you know, some of the, the things with this movie, uh, especially in the, in the, him acting a younger role, and something that I heard, like, listening to that podcast I mentioned before is that Scorsese mentioned how they brought in a specialist just for the posture of the actors to monitor, to make sure that they're keeping a posture of a 30 year old and not a 40 year old. Like, so as the decades go, if you notice the actors, which posture would change. And he even mentioned how the one of the very first scenes they filmed with Al Pacino is supposed to be a 50 year old Jimmy Hoffa going off in, in the, uh, in the room or whatever. And the guys watching is like, his posture is all off. His, his posture isn't right. And he, it was, it was Scorsese's first scene, first time working on Al Pacino. He had to go in there and tell him, you got to redo the scene, man. They say your posture's off. Like, just imagine that. You're sitting there talking to one of the greatest actors of, of our generation, your first time working with him, and you got to tell him he nailed the scene, but because his posture wasn't what it was supposed to be, the age he was supposed to be depicting at that time, he had to redo it. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, first of all, a lot of people might not know, as great as Scorsese is, as great as Pacino is, this is the first time these two are doing something together. I mean, he's worked with Pesci a few times. He's worked with De Niro a million times. This is the first time this duo is coming together. So, yeah, it was kind of weird. But honestly, I think Al Pacino 
has the respect for Scorsese and vice versa. And that little tidbit, I didn't even know that, but that little tidbit just goes to show why Scorsese is so great. How many directors out there are even thinking of something so minuscule? But that's why Scorsese is one of the greatest and for me the greatest. And he, when you're talking about the Mount Rushmore of directors, he has to be there. Now, I know we talked a little bit about, about uh, De Niro. Let's talk about, how about... You know, Al Pacino, Al Pacino playing Jimmy Hoffa. Al Pacino, I would have to say, and again, he's in my top five. Scarface, as people might know, is my favorite movie of all time. I feel that no matter what role Al Pacino is playing, he's the same loud, <laughs> obnoxious. Like, that's him, no matter what role he plays. I don't know if Jimmy Hoffa was like this in real life, but Al Pacino's portrayal of him is is basically Al Pacino in real life, in my opinion. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, but like, at least now, Al Pacino isn't like loud. Like in the interview, he's not. I don't think he's loud in re- in real life. I don't think that's him. Well, in the movies, because okay, think about yeah. it, the ocean, the Ocean's Thirteen, um, Scarface itself, uh, any movie with him, he's just one of those loud guys. Um, but don't get me wrong, I love him for it, and he does it better than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's he's great. I mean. It's just like my my critique of Denzel Washington. I think Denzel's the same fucking character in every movie he's in, but he does it so well that it doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't take you out the the role that they're doing. But uh, yeah, Robert De Niro was great in this movie, and I think he did a great job of early on in the movie displaying the cockiness of Jimmy Hoffa, and then later in the movie displaying someone who's still very cocky. But who's who's fighting to get back something that they feel was wrongly taken from them. And he like Jimmy Hoffa. I don't know how much about Jimmy Hoffa, like how he was in real life, but him saying how he was about like people being on time. If you're more than 10 minutes late and then coming to a meeting dressed in a suit, like all that's things that that I can respect about somebody like wanting and. You know, yeah, he did sideways shit. We all know they're all fucking corrupt in 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 doing what they did and the Teamsters and all that. But I think that in the way that Al Pacino played this role, it made him very sympathetic to the point where we got at the end, you felt for him. Like at that end point, I know we'll probably talk about it, so I'm not going to give it too much away. But when that act happens and he makes that sound, I f- I felt like, damn man, damn. I 1000% agree with you because as he, as much as he's a loud mouth and as much as he was given chance after chance after chance, and he was literally like, fuck it, I'm untouchable. Even when the end came, I still felt for him. And that's the sign of a good actor because we were still drawn to him. We still had emotion towards him, even though technically he's supposed to be a bad guy, but you know, that's just what it is, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, Joe Pesci, I know we touched on him a little bit. Let's let's get into Joe Pesci somewhat more because, like you said, he's he's someone who else is a very much a loudmouth character throughout most of his career. He plays the loudmouth or the silly guy. You know, we reviewed him in Home Alone last week. Uh, his character in Lethal Weapon, Goodfellas, like he's always kind of been the loudmouth. This one, him being honestly, Robert De Niro was pretty calm too. Always, even when he was doing right. like killing and everything, but. You never saw Joe Pesci's character get upset, really. You Joe never Pesci, saw him no, lose his cool. Go ahead. No, that, no, that, and that's what I was saying kind of earlier. Like, 
it's so non Joe Pesci. This is not like him. He's very calm and collected. He's very cerebral and logical in what he's doing. Normally, the other movies, he's very, you know, in Goodfellas, you saw him shoot Spider, the, the bartender, for making a joke. I mean, he's very rash, very brash, very quick to, to, to get pissed off. Um, whereas this, he's more common like i keep saying he's very calculated remember also he was a he was a boss of a family so a boss of a family usually is not going to be that crazy you know they're going to be the, the one to think and, and logically plan everything so i enjoyed seeing him in this role and more than likely this is probably the the, the last time we're probably going to see joe pesci i'm assuming on the big screen so if, if this is his swan song i'd have to say i, I enjoyed it i enjoyed every moment of him well, do you think this ranks up there with one of his best roles ever as well I do, and and I don't think it is it's his best because we know him and we love him for his other crazy shit that he's done. But it's definitely ranked up there in his you know top. I would say his top five, top seven because it's so different from everything else he's done. What's your favorite Joe Pesci role? My favorite Joe Pesci role, um, it's a tie, but between Casino and Goodfellas. But I'm gonna have to go with his role in Goodfellas. Mine's Casino. I yeah, love his character. Those him. two, yeah. they're really similar. Their yeah. their characters are similar in both movies. Yeah, absolutely. Now we talked about all the the big names in this movie, but can we talk about some of the underrated, in my <laughs> underrated performances? Uh, I believe the gentleman's name is Stephen Graham. Who, um, if you're a mobster or a, a mafia uh, fan, you would have probably seen the show called Boardwalk Empire. And he was in Boardwalk Empire. He played you know, the biggest gangster ever, Al Capone. And he was great in that. And in this movie, he played, uh, what was it, Tony Pro, I think Pro, his name was. Yeah. And that scene you're talking about, that's one of my favorite scenes in this movie when De Niro, uh, not De Niro, well, yeah, De Niro was there, but it was really Jimmy Hoffa who was by Al Pacino coming to meet Tony Pro. And they're in Miami, and you got Al Pacino, no nonsense, there with a nice suit on time. You have Tony Pro coming 15 minutes late in some freaking tennis shorts and sunglasses to a meeting. And I just thought that whole that whole uh, scene was great. And I, t I thought Stephen Graham was really good in this movie, very underrated performance. Yeah, I mean, the moment that he goes to jail, that scene with him where he slaps Jimmy Hoffa around was a great scene. Um, and it sets the tone for what happens later when they finally get to the point where they meet in Miami like at first you think all right they're gonna they're gonna give each other some shit about him being late and they're gonna get on with business because even Robert De Niro's character and the other guy I don't remember the other guy who was sitting there they're like when they're talking about well, what's an acceptable time to be late and Hoffa's like 10 minutes and uh pros like 15 and they're like all right well let's settle on 12 minutes and everybody's kind of just sitting back and then he's like what do you mean you people and everybody's like come on Jim what are you doing like everybody's kind of like all right they're giving each other some shit, but we can we can reel this back in. And then when it finally fucking blows up, everybody's just looking like, all right, this is and it's and it's funny how him not being able to bend a little with with Pro early on is was ultimately his undoing. Because as Tony Pro rose up the ranks, I guess so to say, like he was able to take away some of the power Hoffa had as he was trying to get back. And it it, it really this movie ultimately is about hubris and what that can do to you like when you look at, uh, at Hoffa's character like he was really taken down by his inability to just let go they they offered him at one point take your 20 million dollars and just go but he's he's so bad still wanted to be the head of the teamsters 
that he could just not the in the union not let the shit go. Like you give me twenty million dollars, you can have this. You wear the, all the shorts of the fucking meeting you want to. And twenty million back then would have been way more. So like I don't know, man. But uh, yeah, he he did great. Another minor character that I want to mention too is Ray Romano. Yes, because. As someone that you look like, I've only ever seen him, unless I'm just blanking out on it, is Everybody Loves Raymond. That's all I could think about when I see him. And now it, that seeing him in this movie makes me want to go out and see what other roles he's done, maybe in smaller films or whatnot, because the dude can actually act. And I don't don't know if you knew that before, but I, I sure as fuck didn't. Yeah, I don't know him from anything outside of Everybody Loves Raymond, but every scene we had with him uh he played uh i forget his first name but buffalino i know was the last time he was the lawyer yeah. every scene he was in i absolutely enjoyed um and just to kind of rewind back you know it's funny you made a great point where you talked about al pacino jimmy hoffa this was the kind of the first misstep of his whole thing because this 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 meeting with tony pro didn't go well and immediately and i know it's not really fair to this movie but i have to compare it to other movies it kind of as soon as you said that the first thing that clicked in my head was carlito's way when he had that first interaction with benny blanco john Liguzim, uh john Liguzamo, mm-hmm. and Ligozamo was there out of respect like hey i respect you i know you're the og and he disrespected him and you know Later, that was that guy is who killed him later on, and just that one sigh of disrespect led to his demise. At the end of the movie is kind of the same thing here. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, any other actors or, or performances you want to point out specifically before we kind of start talking more about the story? Story more. Um, no, just uh, some other small things. Um, Bobby Cannavale was in this, who's also again in Boardwalk Empire. Um, he's the one that kind of started off. Uh, in a way, kind of started off Robert De Niro into the mafia slash mob world. Um, he, he was in a, a little bit. Um, Harvey Keitel, who played like the big boss, he was in it for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Great to see him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, uh, such a slew of great actors in this one. So I, I just still can't believe that no one wanted to give Scorsese this budget, knowing who's in this movie, who's behind this movie. How the fuck? I'll be like, here, here's all my money. Take that shit because I know I'm going to make it back. What? Okay, the thing I think, I, at least my opinion on this, isn't based off like any research or anything. This is hundred percent Hayes' opinion. Um, I really think that big studios don't want to put a lot of money into mafia movies anymore because the movies that people are making now that are kind of like this are gang movies. I think they they feel like generationally people have moved on from caring about the old school mobs and mafias, and now they want to see more of the cartels or or more like stuff in the 70s and 80s not stuff this far back i don't i think that that's that's what the studios want to put their money behind but hopefully something like this shows them that it's still for for the people that can do it well like i don't know anyone but scorsese who can probably pull this off the way that he did but you you put your money behind the director and let the director figure it out especially when they have a strong script and this script was just i don't see i don't see how anybody could have read the script and figured nah we're good yeah, exactly. And I mean, again, you have Scorsese's name behind it. Forget about what the cast is. Scorsese's name alone is a selling point. And like uh, regarding this script, we could name a million mobster movies. And, you know, The Godfather, Donnie Brasco, um, again, Casino, we talked about Goodfellas. All these movies show kind of a 
a romantic and a, and a, and a, a glitzy kind of of mafia movie where they got all these girls, they got all these women, you know, they got money, they they run the town. This movie was kind of different. This movie kind of showed the struggles more of the older generation and like you know not to fast forward but kind of the end towards the end of the movie you see all these guys who were at one point the the strongest men in the city and now they're like nothing they're just standing demoralizing isn't it yeah but that's what i love about scorsese so he no we've never seen this in a mobster movie where you kind of see them old and broken down and again i'm not fast forwarding but a lot of people complain like hey when when the the whole lead up to what happened with jimmy hoffa came that's it the movie should have ended the next 45 minutes were a waste of time this movie's too long absolutely not because i cannot tell you the amount of movies that i saw i don't care what genre what kind of movie it is that I've seen it and it's ended. And I kept on saying like, damn, I wonder what, ha- what would have happened next? Yeah. What would we have gotten next? And this movie, we don't have to ask that because we see what happens next. And I love that. For a lot of directors, the movie would have ended with Hoffa getting shot. Yes. That would have been it. It would have like faded to black, maybe showed them burying the body, the funeral. And then that would have been the end of the movie. The fact that they went on what another almost 30 minutes after that, if not more does show that, they wanted to bring the story in. Again, I guess that's also the different different of perspective because this movie wasn't about Hoffa. As much as Hoffa was in it and it was about his death, it wasn't really about Hoffa. It was about Frank Sharon. And that's yes. kind of what I wanted to get into the story because we see this guy who is a veteran. Uh, we see that he did like fucking war crimes. Like he made people dig their own de- graves and then shot their asses. Like this shit is badass. Um, and he is working for the for the union. He is a truck driver and he has just a one-off chance meeting with uh Pesci's character uh Bellino. Is that was that the last names? Buffalino. Yeah, Ru- Russell Buffalino. Buffalino. Just a, a one-off meeting where he's telling he's looking in the hood of his car and he tells him, "Oh, this is what it is." But then they meet again later on and he remembers him and he he makes an impression and it's just funny how that that meeting built this man into what he did like he got so far up into this mafia that he got that ring and at the time Pesci's telling him there's only three people that have this I forgot who the first person was him and the now Frank Sharon and that just lets you know how far up this this guy's made it and how he's worked him worked himself up um he was a leader of of one of the 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 local unions as well at one point like this this guy's a self-made man for all intents and purposes and the fact that now this is where i do have an issue with because as high up as he made it would they they still be using him as a hitman considering he was a boss at one point i don't think they would have been well here's the thing he wasn't really a boss though he was never he was never a boss and he could have never been a boss because he was an Irishman. yeah right exactly but he was protected by by Joe Pesci's character, and that's how Joe Pesci said, "They can't touch you. You're you're too. Str- I've made you too strong. They can't touch you." And like like you said, I love that scene where he's like, "Only three people have this ring, but you're the only Irishman to have it." So yeah, he was a higher up, but he would that killing is what got him as a higher up. Yeah. And I don't mean to rewind, but I just have to bring this up. You talked about the screenplay and while doing my research, I, I, I saw this and, and I wanted to bring it up, but I forgot, but you reminded me, I'm going to just name some movies really quick. You tell me 
Hayes, because you're a movie buff. You tell me what you think of these movies. Schindler's List, Mission Impossible, Hannibal, Gangs of New York, American Gangster, Moneyball, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. What do you think about those movies? Except Moneyball and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, they're all classics in my opinion. Yes, I agree. And although Moneyball wasn't a classic, I absolutely enjoyed the movie. I just loved the movie. All of those came from the same writer as Irishman, Stephen Zalian. And he is a guy that no one talks about, but people should be. Considering the work, his freaking yeah. resume, he's wrote all of that shit. And we need to hear more about this guy because great screenplay, bro. I mean, like you said, it's amazing, amazing writing. And it, and, it's, and I know this movie, like, the it, the length gets made fun of because it's, what, like, three hours and 40 minutes or whatever. Yeah. But it when you look at the the amount of time that they covered in story that can only be done by a master screenwriter and like you said like and we do we talk so much about the actors we talk talk so and you know we talk more about the actors then if it's a big name director we talk about the director we really don't ever talk about writers unless it's a writer and director unless, unless it's somebody who does both roles like a spike lee or someone so yeah i'm glad you pointed that out yeah so like you said a lot of people have issues with this with the length of this movie. And my issue is with those people is, you know, just to talk about some of the movies we reviewed recently, Dr. Sleep. I watched Dr. Sleep and, you know, a part, part way into the movie, I had to look at how long was left because I felt like it was dragging. I, even though we haven't reviewed this movie, I saw uh, Ready or Not the other day. Uh, I checked it. The movie's only an hour and a half. I checked it at one point to see how much is left because I felt like it, was, it started to drag. There's only about half an hour left. This movie... At the point I checked to see how much time was left, not it wasn't because I felt it was dragging. I was just curious to see what the spot, spot was. When I checked it, there was literally 15 minutes left in the movie. And it didn't bother me at all because although the movie is long, I think the pace is good. And the problem is, if you try to shorten this movie and make this into a three-hour, two-and-a-half-hour movie, what the fuck are you really going to cut out of this movie? Yeah. I don't think anything can be cut out. As a matter of fact... Give me another half an hour. I think they could have even put more into this movie. Uh, you know, they didn't exp- – for example, Robert De Niro, and towards the end of the movie, after the whole Hoffa thing, you kind of see friction with him and his daughter. And that friction was kind of there throughout the whole movie from when she was a little girl, uh, you know, mm-hmm. throughout. I didn't really feel any towards towards a weight, you know, with that because we didn't see much – of their connection in the first place. They didn't really harp on that too much. So when, when you know, the daughter became estranged, I didn't really have any emotion toward it because we didn't see a lot of his family life. Yeah, they showed a couple of shots at home and stuff like that, but we could have saw more of his family life. We could have saw more of him with the Teamsters. We could have gotten a lot more out of this. I mean, te- technically, we could have. This could have even been something that was like a, you know, a four-part uh, miniseries, even. But I'm happy they did it the way they did. And everyone who's bitching about, oh, the movie's too long, just watch it for what it is. The movie was amazing. Honestly, the runtime didn't bother me at all. The only time I checked the runtime is after Hoffa died because I was just like, what, what the fuck are they going to do next? Like that's it, because um, it, it it burst by. Like to pick up though on your last point. Because I have seen some of the backlash that because Anna Paquin only has like one line in the whole movie, right? Uh, like they, I feel like they did a great job at, at telling why his daughter was afraid of him. Like the very first thing he does, like we're well, not the very first thing, but he takes her because the store one of the store owners put his hand his the hands roaster. on his daughter, and she sees him stomp on this guy's hands on the fucking curb. Like at that point, you know your dad's dangerous, so I can understand someone being a, a little you know kind of off around him and then 
even that as their relationship is disintegrating even joe pesci's character was like you know you should be closer to your kids and, and like he really loved the kids but they didn't really like him but his daughter loved jimmy hoffa that's the way that they depicted it in this movie so the moment that jimmy hoffa disappears and they notice and like frank isn't like acting all frantic about it and that's supposed to be your guy she kind of put two and two together and it's like look i'm not fucking with you no more this was the final straw because i loved hoffa exactly you could tell that she kind of was she felt uncomfortable with her dad she felt uncomfortable with joel pesci's character but she kind of had this kinship kind of like a father figure in jimmy hoffa because jimmy hoffa she never seen jimmy hoffa doing anything bad all she seen was jimmy hoffa helping people giving people you know in people in the union and get, getting them raises getting their pensions and he saw the she saw the goodness out of him she never saw all the sideways shit that she did that he did so that's why he was kind of more she was more gravitated to al pacino's character yeah. All right. And then something I want to talk about with uh, Frank Sheeran's character. I love how, like, he has all these conversations with, like, Pesci's character and Hoffa. And, like, they, they'll bring up problems or something they do. And he just gives them a look. And, and they're like, no, I don't want you to do that. Like, it's, it's like he just has this, like, they're they're complaining about X, Y, Z. And, and even one time with Hoffa, when they're sitting on the bed, and Hoffa's like, no, not that. Not that. I'm not talking about that. It's like, damn, how bad with this motherfucker that, that he just gives you guys a look, and you're like, oh, he wants to kill this mother. No, I don't want you to kill him. I don't want you to kill him. It's crazy. I mean, so there's so many great points to this movie, and... I just really want to talk about, because, you know, we're, we're not going in any particular order mm -hmm. or anything, but... From the point where uh, Robert De Niro was getting the award, yeah. and he he chose Al Pacino to give him the speech, and at that point you kind of knew the beginning of the end was coming for Jimmy Hoffa because at that point they you know Joe Pesci told Robert De Niro, "Listen, tell him enough is enough. He needs to back down. He's getting people nervous, and what does freaking Al Pacino do? He's he threatens them, says, "Listen, I have I have files on them, I have recordings on them. I'll take them all down. They can't touch me." And I kind of knew the beginning of the end was coming. And from the point when Robert De Niro made that phone call and Pacino was like, hey, listen, I've agreed to meet them. We're meeting tomorrow at two o'clock. I knew he was done. Well, yeah, I mean, they like Robert De Niro says to Al Pacino, he's like, they, they told me to tell you it is what it is. And he's like, what, what do you mean? It is? They they'll never like that's exactly like he, he, he like Hoffa has his look on his face like. Fuck them. Like, what do you what do you mean it is what it is? I do what the fuck I want to do. But the thing that I want to mention with that, and I know we're bouncing all around, is he says, I have stuff on them. If anything ever happens to me. And then if you look at the end of this movie, they all start going away for shit. That how would the police know about it? For, ex for example, the guy with the big glasses, I keep forgetting his name, the rat or whatever. I can't remember what they nicknamed him. When he he the guy that did the strangling yeah the strangling I think he's like Bill Bugsy Bugs whatever like yeah. but he he strangled that guy in the car but the person who was driving went to jail for assisting in that like how would they know because at that time Bugs or whoever with the glasses was dead like I really believe that and we'll we'll never find out because I don't think it was ever told or anything but I do think that Hoffa was serious like once Hoffa went away. They gave this information to the police because it's funny how everyone started falling around them for little shit. Like they they weren't getting them on murders or anything. They were getting them on fucking embezzlement and everything else. They started going away. So to Hoffa was serious. Like he, I think he really did have tapes and shit on everyone that 
got given to the police the moment he went away and disappeared. Yeah, the guy's name, by the way, was Sally Bugs. But Sally yeah, Bugs, uh, yeah. So I'm sure someone was leaking information because these guys all got pinched. So yeah. these guys, I, but it was nothing serious. Exactly. Yeah, because they they got maybe seven years, five years, four years. You know, some of them are out with early parole, so nothing ever. Every uh, you know, kind of crazy came out of it. But just going back to. Joe Pesci, when when you know the, the moment you're talking about when they're like, listen, it, it it is what it is. Joe Pesci, there was a great quote. He was like, "These guys have killed the fucking president of the United States. Yeah. You don't think they'll kill the president of the freaking of the Teamsters of the Union?" And this is one thing we didn't really talk about, and the movie kind of just touched on a little bit JFK's involvement with the FBI. And I I've heard these conspiracy theories, and that JFK and his brother, um, uh, Robert, uh, Robert Kennedy, I think his name was, was involved with the FBI. But this movie really, I mean, Scorsese straight the up. FBI or the mafia? I'm sorry, with the mafia. Okay. I apologize. And Scorsese kind of basically points out, blanks out, says the mafia killed him. I mean, I think at this point, people, it's not commonly thought. I don't want to make it seem like everyone knows that, but. There is that speculation that go- that's going around, and it really makes sense when you think about it. Like that goes back into like what ultimately played into the downfall of of Hoffa. Like they elected Kennedy, at least by what this movie tells us, is they elected Kennedy. He he's had beef with the Kennedys way before then, so it makes you think like, was Hoffa? Were they always planning on not necessarily killing Hoffa, but were they always planning on kind of removing him as the head of the Teamsters or the Union at some point because? If you elect someone who's directly against who at that point, like Hoffa was the most, what, media facing member of the mafia at that point. Like all these guys like moving in the shadows. Yeah, people knew that they had these names and these big ass characters and they did things with the union and the Teamsters. But Hoffa was at the head of it. So you put someone in there and then they're coming after after Hoffa with um, with Bobby Kennedy you have to think that somebody in the mafia was allowing that to happen because why would why would it happen? You would think that if it if they didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't have happened. Exactly. I mean, if I have to answer, like, was Jimmy Hoffa, regardless of whatever happened, was it the plan always to kill him? I'd have to say 100% yes. To be honest with you, nobody in the mafia freaking survives forever. There's there's always somebody planning to kill your ass, regardless of how, how, how high you are or how low you are on the food chain. Someone's always gunning for you. So I, eventually, Jimmy Hoffa's time would have came. You know, it's funny. You watch this movie. Well, I shouldn't say funny, but you watch this movie, and every time they introduce a new character, they also introduce it with a couple tidbits, such and such died is shot eight times murdered explosion what you think about that yeah i love i love that because like they did that for everyone whose death we didn't see so the people who we were going to see how they died or they met their end they didn't do that for but it was a great way because they 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 brought up so many characters because i know like for me i i would have been researching like i wonder what happened to this bastard um so i, I love that they do that it was only one guy uh in this movie i can't remember his name where they're like Oh, he died of natural causes 60 years later. He was generally loved by everyone. Like, it's- yeah, that was actually Tony Jack. He was okay. the one. He was the one who was in the Miami sit-in and he was um, I think he was Tony Pro's cousin. But can I just real quick? I have just for anyone listening, if ever, ever. And this is just a tip, a film bros tip. If at any point in time you happen to run into Robert De Niro in the middle of the night and he says hello, fucking run. <laughs> because everybody this man said hello to after hours literally it, it, it followed up with gunshots to the head. 
yeah, one one of mine. I guess we can get into that next. His favorite scenes. My one of my favorite scenes is the scene with Crazy Joe. Like that whole scene of them being at his at the at the uh, club during his birthday, and like him and uh, Pesci get into it, and he's like, and De Niro's like, yeah, we're all brothers. Well, I'm not one of the brothers, but you guys are brothers, and you know this. And he sits down, and Pesci just looks at him, and Robert De Niro looks at him, and is like. All right, I'll take care of it. And then he get the fuck out of here, right? Yeah, yeah. And and he, he he so he tells Crazy Joe to get the fuck out of there. And when he gets back and sits down and talks to Pesci, Pesci like something needs to be done X Y Z. And he he never. And that's what I love about this. I don't think one time, except at the end with Hoffa, do they kind of make it obvious that they're just asking for him to kill someone. There's always these these undertones of and these looks, yeah, of you know what you have to do. And he goes in into that restaurant and just starts unloading. It was like to see old ass Robert De Niro do that and pull it off and still look that good was was my that was my favorite one one and two scenes back to back. I look at it as all one scene because it culminated in something. But yeah, I love that. And I'm not I'm not a fucking psycho people, but that same scene you're talking about, just to rewind it a little bit, when he's in the wherever the fuck he was, the hotel room, and he has all the guns, yeah. and he's just talking to himself like, okay, this one will make too much noise. Well, this one I wanted to make noise, so there's no witnesses staying, and everyone runs. That scene was so well done. To for, you know, I think he ended up picking the 38, if I'm not mistaken. I don't really remember which gun it was, but he picks the two guns, and like you said, he kills Crazy Joe. Um, I think the place is called Umberto's. Um, that there's, I can't really pick a favorite scene in this movie because so much of it was good. If I had 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 to gun to my head, had to, I'd probably have to say that Miami scene with Tony Pro and, oh, yeah, and, and with him. I, it was just a really good scene, and also. Um, and, and this might not necessarily be considered a scene, but something I really enjoyed with this movie from the point when Joe Pesci's character was making the salad. This is later on towards the end, like mm -hmm. the, the, the end of the second, the second third of the movie. And he's making his salad and he's basically indirectly telling um, Robert De Niro, like Jimmy Hoffa's character has to go. And he's like, listen, he just stopped. And he's like, we did everything we could for him. Yeah. And, at that point, he drops, you know, Joe Pesci drops Robert De Niro to that private airport. And that whole, for a long time, all you have is silence. And at that time, my heart is dying for Robert De Niro because Robert De Niro and, and Jimmy Hoffa, they're like best friends. They're legit best friends. And it's like, he know he has to do this. That's his job. He has to now go kill his best friend. And there's so much silence and there's so much suspense and so much intensity up until the point where he picks him up with his son, with, with Pacino's son, Chucky. And then they take him to the house. That whole thing is so freaking intense. And it kind of reminded me just the, just the, just the latter part of that. When they walk into the house, it reminded me of Joe Pesci in Goodfellas when he thought he was about to be made he walked into the house and he saw it was an empty house and he was like before he could even say oh no they shot him in the head and he killed him in Goodfellas it was the same concept here Jimmy Hoffa walks in the house and he's like wait a minute this shit is empty and he's like let's get out of here and before he could even touch the door he was already getting gunshots to the head yeah. by your best friend and that's how it usually is in the mafia yeah it's it's it, it's it's a a while just seeing and how like that breaks up and then Pesci eventually tells him like it has to be you because that's the only way I know you'll let it happen 
Yeah, that's why he had to involve him because he, I mean, you even saw Robert De Niro was looking at the phone wondering like, should I warn this motherfucker? Yeah. But he knew if he warned him, that was his death sentence because yeah. they were his family, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And then and, at the end of the movie, when they are at the the retirement home, or well, they're in the prison, and they're in prison, not just a retirement right. home. But Pesci tells him he's like, Jimmy was a good guy, but I chose us over him. Yes, and I love that quote because at the end of the day, yes, he did. Yeah. And like people might forget, Joe Pesci's character and Jimmy Hoffa were actually friends. They were friends throughout the movie, but yeah. again, I mean, Al Pacino, you know, Jimmy Hoffa was went beyond you know they told him take your money and run like you said 20 21 million whatever it was and he just couldn't deal with it and he got too big for his britches and he thought he's untouchable and then at that point joe pesci couldn't do anything and he's like hey it was either him or us and i chose us yeah and i mean he even tries to warn uh hoffa several times like face to face like hey you know people are saying not me but other people are saying and like hoffa's just he had such big balls at that point. He really did feel like he was untouchable. And unfortunately he had to pay that with, for that with the ultimate price of his life. Um, but bro, how many times really, don't get me wrong. I love Jimmy Hoffa. I love yeah. Al Pacino in this movie, but how many times are you going to warn this dude? I mean, I was ready to get a gun and shoot this fucking guy myself. Yeah. I mean, everybody's warning him. pro warned him. Like, even though he did it in a dick way, like pro tried to tell him, um, in their interactions, fucking, uh, Buffalino told him, Sharon told him like he had multiple times everyone around him kind of let him know that he was he needed to get his money and get out and his pride just would not allow him to do it and it sucks that your best friend had to be the one to fucking kill you Uh, and then even that like imagine being his son imagine being Chucky knowing that you dropped your dad off and nobody saw him from at, at that point that's nuts like shit like I, i'm curious to know like i would love to see an interview with that guy like i dropped my dad off in this home and i never saw him again obviously you know something went down but shit he, he must feel like shit because he was basically driving his dad to death and he didn't even know it yeah and that was another great scene too with the fish oh yes yes, yes. that was kind of um what's the word i'm looking for like foretelling because you know in with the mafia they always say oh you sleep with the fishes yeah. that's how i looked at it It was kind of foretelling like jimmy hoffa's time had come well i also look at it as like a way because the movie's so tense at that point and you mentioned it it was a great way to cut tension because they're sitting there going back and forth about the fish robert de niro's like no i'm not sitting back there and then the guy's like no i'll clean up he's like look you sit there i'm sitting back there and the guy's like all right cool if you want to sit back there like because he knows that the, the he's known for strangling people in the car so like and you know that had to be tense for robert de niro too because it's like all right i know that they want me to kill hoffa but they also know i'm close with hoffa so if they get any sense that i'm not gonna do this they're gonna kill my ass too or i mean honestly if it was me let's say it was me and you me and you are good friends and they're like yo finish haze okay how do I know after I finish you, there's not somebody with a gun behind my head ready to finish me. So that must have had to have been a tense moment for freaking, um, for Frank Sheeran. I mean, you're killing your best friend and then you don't know where, where your shit lies after that. And even if you do live, how do you move on after that? You saw when he made the phone call to Joe Hoffa, um, Jimmy Hoffa's wife, he was like, so he didn't know what to say. He was, yeah. he was at a loss for words and he was stuttering and he wasn't his normal self. And cause he knew what he did. He knew, you know, he knew what he did. So really awkward moment for him. Absolutely. 
Uh, any 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 other scenes or characters you want to talk about standing up? Because I, I got something else that I wanted to talk about, but I want to make sure that we get every part of this movie that we want to get to before we get there. One last thing. I mean, we usually talk about it. We kind of go in depth when we do these things that I wanted to talk about. Um, you got to mention it when you're talking Scorsese is the cinematography. Um, one of my favorite in all fuck Scorsese, but in all of movies, one of my favorite shots ever is in the Goodfellas when um, uh, Ray Liotta's character, Henry Hill, he's bringing his girlfriend for the first time to the, I think it was the place was called like the Copa or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they did that one shot where, you know, they always talk about where the shot was done in one scene. Yeah. Just the cinematography, they did it, they, they kind of call back to it here in the beginning of the movie when you when they're in the retirement home and you kind of see just pan down through the halls. I know this is something small, but my eye always takes eyes those things. A lot of nice cinematography in this movie, but you can't expect anything less from Scorsese. Outside of that, I mean, that we've pretty much gone through the characters we've gone through the different storylines um yeah that's pretty much it in terms of the movie itself yeah uh, yeah the cinematography i mean it's scorsese so we 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 knew that it was going to be excellent um i mean some of the storylines that we didn't touch on is like frank sharon leaving his wife for a new woman which really ultimately yeah it's great to add depth to his character and like kind of just as he rose up but it really didn't add anything to the story he had two other daughters and everything but yeah that that's pretty much the biggest part of it other than like him throwing like the scene of him throwing all those guns repeatedly in the uh in the water over the bridge he's like there's this perfect spot in the bridge where if you throw it they they won't find it ever like it it, it, that was that was great to see as well but yeah, I love um, the shot after underneath the water where they, you see like freaking a thousand yeah, guns on. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Um, but so we we do at the end of this movie, we get, of course, Hoffa getting shot. You already gave that scene. Uh this it's been disputed. Like there's some there's another hitman that says that he k- killed Hoff and then what ba- buried him under, under c- cement in a in a building or whatnot. And it, it it there's a lot of different theories on what happened to Hoffa. Well, do you do you do you believe this one? Which one? Which one? The one that gave, no, was, was that given French, to us in the movie. That Frank Sheeran shot him. Yeah. Here's the problem, and you even seen this in the movie. Every fucking person's dead. He was the only person who's alive. So you don't know what to believe. But I, I just have to say, as someone as a kid growing up in New York, the the big thing was always like he was buried in Yankee Stadium. But I mean, it was like it was like a running joke when I was growing up. Like. Where's Jimmy Hoffa buried? Like you lost your, like you lost like your wallet. Like oh shit, they're gonna find Jimmy Hoffa before you find your wallet. It was like always a running thing. But I don't know. I don't know if because there's been so many people to to kind of rebuke this or or uh, fact check it. So I don't really know. I mean, we'll never really know what the hell happened. The only people that really know that is God and whoever the hell killed this man. Um, we don't. We'll never really know. Um, I can't. I can't argue this. It, it makes sense to me, but I don't know all the history, so I. I really don't know. But e- either way, it doesn't negate the fact that I love this movie. Yeah, and something that was said in the movie that I. I just think is a great line. It says that three people can only keep a secret if two of them are dead. Exactly, and that is so <laughs> true. <laughs> so I mean, anything left with this movie, bro? Or we 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 wrapping this one up. Yeah, I mean, I know everyone's probably saying like, oh, you know, you guys did a three and a half hour movie and, you know, about an hour or so. The thing is, like, we can talk on and on and on about this movie, but 
all I can say is go out and watch the movie, man. Go forget about forget about this podcast. Go and watch the damn movie. The movie is amazing. Um, I know we're gonna get into the ratings in a few, but every aspect of this movie. I mean, I'm trying to think of something I disliked or something that I felt was weak. Um, I really have nothing, man. I mean, I enjoyed every single aspect of this movie. The score, the cinematography, the acting, the performances, just all of it. The story arcs. I mean, all of it was amazing for me. Is there anyone that you wish was in this movie that wasn't like from the old old school mafia movies? Because I feel like they all make an appearance like you got fucking cartel in this movie. Um, honestly, yeah, I felt I would have liked to see in a small role. I mean, give me two minutes of him just for nostalgia. Where's Ray Liotta? Mm, give me Ray Liotta because yeah. he, he was the only one from Goodfellas yeah. and not in this. So, um, yeah, he wasn't in it. We pretty much got all got everyone from Casino. I well, not really. I mean, the 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 whole like kind of second. The, the under the underbosses not the underbosses but like the second tier of, of mobsters or whatever they weren't really um in this but we got all the main people I, I mean maybe yeah ray Liotta but outside of that again i was i was absolutely fine with this cast cool what more can you ask for you know yeah, yeah perfect perfect casting um so before we get into our ratings uh this is where you usually come in do you want to give the imdb and rotten tomatoes what that is just so people could know yeah, so um, actually, I think as much as we've been doing this, I don't think we've ever, and I mean, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've ever seen where the, tom- the tomato score, the Rotten Tomato score is higher than the audience score. I don't think I've ever seen that. And actually for this movie, currently it is. The tomato meter score is 96%, which is freaking high for yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. And the audience score, which is kind of surprising, is, I mean, it's not low, but it's still surprising. It's 86%, um, which is still freaking high. But I'm actually shocked Rotten Tomatoes actually rated something higher than the audience. It's crazy to me. Yeah, that, that's that's wild. I wonder, like, if if we read those, how many of them talk shit about the runtime? Like, I just feel like that's really the main negatives that I hear and just to add some more color to that, IMDb is currently at eight point three out of ten, and that's with a hundred and four thousand reviews. That's crazy. That's very high for yeah. IMDb. And yeah, like you're saying, in terms of having issues, the three main things I think I've seen. The number one thing I've seen is the runtime. Number two is the whole de aging, and number three, and this is more for like the super history buffs. They're saying the film is not a hundred percent historically yeah, accurate. True. Those are the three things, and honestly, again, I have no issue with the runtime. Um, the, the historical uh, accuracy, again, I don't really don't give a shit. Um, I I didn't watch it for the historical, you know, the historic data. It was just, it is what it is. To quote a line from the movie, <laughs> it is what it is. So, um, yeah, again, I can't say enough good things about this movie. Well, there you have it. My, uh, I guess we can get into like our number reviews if we're gonna do. Like you said, I'm not gonna put a fucking number on this. I think everyone needs to see this movie. See it. Flat, flat out. You got to see this movie because it's just a beautiful piece. Like, don't even worry about the historical thing. Like, don't don't come in worrying about any of that. If you just come in and watch the movie, I don't see how you can be disappointed in it. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give a rating, though, just to, to give a rating. And it of all 
episodes we've ever done in the film frequency, this will be the most highest rated. And I'm very critical and very harsh when it comes to these ratings. This will be the highest rating I've given any film we've ever done in film frequency. And my rating out of 10, I'm going to go ahead and give this a 9 out of 10. Um, it's a great movie, and I'm telling you right now, if the, I'm not saying as a winner, but if this movie is not in talks for an Oscar, I will have an issue for movie of the year. I'm not saying it's going to win, but it needs to be nominated. If uh, Robert De Niro does not get a, a, a nomination for, for best actor, I will be pissed off. And maybe, and this is maybe stretching a little bit, but I can also see possibly Al Pacino as a supporting, um, supporting actor. If he doesn't get that, I'm okay with that. But there's no way that this movie doesn't get a nomination for movie of the year. I can't see it. I think this movie is generational. I think this is one, like we get, every generation you get an absolute, classic movie and i think this is it like honestly i i and i don't mean to like i'm this is not hyperbole this isn't just because i'm a scorsese fan like i i really don't find any holes in this movie for me like i've watched this movie three times since it's come out that's over 10 fucking hours i've put into mm. this movie bro that's how much i love this movie and every time that i've watched it so i watched it once by myself when it first came out watched it with the fam over thanksgiving then i watched it again preparing for this review and every single time I've watched it, the three hours did not fucking bother me at all. No, it just runs so smoothly. And it's so hard to find a movie with this length. Keep in mind, this is Scorsese's longest movie ever. But I did not even feel one minute of it at all. If we never get another Scorsese movie, is this the perfect way for him to go out for you? Do you want to see one more? I'm going to be honest with you right now. If we never got, and this is what I'm about to say, this can actually be true. This could very well be the last time you see Scorsese, you see Pesci, and you see De Niro. I think Al Pacino still has a little bit left, but these uh, those other three guys are extremely old. I'm not really sure how old Al Pacino is. I feel like he's younger than the rest of them. Maybe he has a couple more he's in older, him. Right? I, he's right? He's older? I believe Al Pacino's older than De Niro. Hold on. Yeah, uh, Al Pacino's 79, De Niro's 76. I feel like Pacino looks so much younger than freaking De Niro in this movie. <laughs> but at any rate, if this was all of their last movies, their their quote-unquote swan song, I think it's a beautiful way uh, uh, to end. Um, I think we all know this is not the end of Martin Scorsese. This man t brings out more. As a matter of fact, what the fuck am I saying? He's already working on some shit for 2020. I forgot the name of the movie. So, okay, yeah, we're, we know we're getting more Scorsese because I, I just saw the other day he's working on something for 2020. I forget the name of the movie. But, um... Yeah, if we got the other three, De Niro, Pesci, and and uh, Pacino, this was their end, it would be an amazing way to go. What a way for three amazing and historical actors to go out in a film that's, that's this good. Um, I don't see anything, like on at least on IMDb or, from, or Wikipedia coming up for Scorsese, but he, he, what, the longest I think he's ever disappeared has been four years, and that was between The Departed and Shutter Island, so I'm sure he's going to come back with something. Yeah, um, I forgot the name of the damn movie that um, he's working on in 2020. Um, it's something that came up in uh, uh, something I think I saw in like a feed somewhere. And oh, here it is, Killers of the Flower Moon. I don't know what the hell that's supposed to be, but my number, my number two of all time, DiCaprio is going to be in it. And DiCaprio and Scorsese has worked a lot together, Wolf of Wall Street and all that shit. But um, Departed as well and some others. But yeah, it's called Killers of Flower of the Flower Moon. I don't really know what it's supposed to be, but it's set to come out March of 2020. Well, there you go. That'll be the next time we see something from Scorsese. Well, 
JB, that's it for us this week. Do you want to go ahead and tell the give the well tell the people give the people your social media so they can follow you? Absolutely, I can be reached on Facebook. That's Javid Bashrul. You could find me on the Film Frequency uh, discussion group, um, amongst other places, and I can be reached on Twitter at the P1JB. That's at T H E P One J B. And you can follow me at CEO Hayes. That's at CEO H A I Z E. You can follow us collectively at the Film Bros. And then, lastly, as JB said, you can go to Facebook, type in the Film Frequency, and join our discussion group. Where it's bro, I I remember I didn't go in it for like two days, and I came back, and I was like, because I didn't get any alerts, and I'm like, huh, I wonder how quiet it's been in here. And I'm like, oh no, I just been missing shit. Like they keep that that discussion group growing, and I just want to everyone who's in it uh, and listens to this, like, thank you guys for just keeping that uh being the place that people can go to just talk about film like there was a conversation um about chick flicks in there that was just funny as hell so like yeah it's not just about like what we talk about on the podcast it's really about film itself it's linked to this podcast but it's not just conversations based off what's talked about here so go there if you like movies in general uh jb before we leave as the last thing we always like to tell them what we got coming down the pipeline so what we what do we have next so we got uh well next week we got an episode of uh keeping it real um we got a news episode coming up so we'll have some news um and then for the mini episode which will be dropping next week thursday um we got the wrestler i believe with big ray from hami media and then the week after that we got uh queen and slim which i have not seen yet i think you've seen it though right i've seen it what do you? I'm not. I'm not going to ask you what you think about don't, it. Don't. We'll get all that. We'll but yeah, I'll that. be watching that this upcoming week, and uh, we'll be back with that. Yeah, and then following Queen and Slim, we as the mini so that week, I believe we have our uh, films of the decade, right? Which is going to be so goddamn hard. How do you? I can't even name a top ten for freaking 2019, bro. We're supposed to come up one for the next, last ten freaking years. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Like that, I'm. I've been stressing preparing for that episode, man. Um, but yeah, that, that that's gonna be a fun episode, a really fun one. Also, let's not forget. I know we talked about it a couple weeks ago, and we kind of um, put it in the back burner. But we have not forgotten. We are gonna have our contest coming up, where uh, you know we're gonna be we're we're still working on it. We're getting all the kinks out, but we'll be putting more on social media where we're gonna be giving out two free tickets to a, mo- a movie of your choice. We'll have like a you know kind of a graphic setup with all the instructions and everything, and uh, we'll be posting that. So look for that in the upcoming week or two. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it from my end. Well, that is it. You lovely and beautiful film freaks. We will see you guys next week. Peace. Let's go paint some houses. <laughs> oh,